0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go play at labbrooks.com, 18plus be T's and C's apply.
1: Hello and welcome to the Premier League All Access podcast with me, Sam Matterface, alongside me once again, TalkSports Chief Football Correspondent Alex
2: Crook and European football guru, Kevin Hatchard. Here's what's coming up on this week's pod. Isaac is it's just, I mean, we've we've talked about him so often on the pod, and rightly so, because I think we all think he's amazing. He's just got all of the tools in his armoury. He is terrific football.
3: It, it's a problem, you know, because they, they spent a lot of money on Mason Mount, not necessarily a player that particularly United needed, but I understand the signing, but it just doesn't work. That combination of him, Bruno and Casemiro. Do you think
1: Pep... Listen, he's obviously a genius. He's obviously uh, one of the most uh, creative minds that football has ever had. But uh, do you think he's got many friends? I mean, I mean, he must be a pain to
3: go out with, mustn't he? You know, they've shown they're willing to buy £111 million, So they can't plead poverty anymore. And Jurgen Klopp saying, well, we don't sign players for £100 million. Well, you tried to, Jurgen, and you failed. So whatever way you look at it, I think this window's been a disaster. Kev, welcome back. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. Excited about the new season. Got Harry
2: Kane fever, obviously, as a Bundesliga.
1: you're doing the derby, aren't you? On the derby, the debut
2: on Friday night, right? Uh, yes, I've, I've done his first debut, which was a bit of a disaster uh, in the Super Cup, and uh, I'll be doing his Bundesliga debut on Friday night.
1: The real one. The real. The real one. Real debut. Well, he might actually start the game.
3: You never know. Um, Crookster, you okay? Yeah, good. Yeah, another busy week in the uh, in the world of transfers, but we are we're hurtling towards the deadline now. And you've uh, recovered from your um, how can we say it? long night
1: on Monday night? You had a tough time, <laughs> didn't you? You had to drown your sorrows.
3: Yeah, the after party was better than the football. Uh, let's just say that it was it was a difficult watch behind the goal at Old Trafford. But an opening day win is an opening day win. But uh, felt very sorry for Wolves and Gary O'Neill. I thought they were excellent. Let's talk about Manchester City. Kevin, you were doing
1: the Super Cup on Wednesday night. Um, They just about got past Sevilla, but it had a lot to do with the fact that Cole Palmer came uh, and, and rescued them in the last few minutes.
2: He was outstanding really seized the opportunity to impress from the get-go, was trying to make things happen, trying to shoot on goal, trying to play others in, took his equalising goal brilliantly. And yeah, his performance was absolutely critical because at one stage it looked as though they weren't going to win it.
1: Pep Guardiola said afterwards, uh, he's not going on loan, uh, sell or stay? Is he going to replace Riyad Mahrez or are they going to ship him out?
3: Well, there's definitely interest. I know Brighton have been trying to work on a permanent deal for some weeks now. I think West Ham have asked the question as part of their conversations with Lucas Paquitar. So I guess it will come down to how much Cole Palmer pushes for a move, how much he wants to play week in, week out, which maybe won't happen at Manchester City, and how much City need to cash in in order to balance their own books. Mm. Um, It'd be interesting to see what happens with him because he's clearly a, a,
1: a talent, isn't he? And he was terrific in both the Community Shield and in the Super Cup. And City really wanted to win that game, didn't they, Kev?
2: Yeah, they did. And Pep Guardiola had said before the game, we don't know when we're going to be back. So we have to seize the opportunity. It was the first time they contested the Super Cup. But I thought what was really interesting was they started really well. Yasin Bono made a couple of excellent saves early on. And then once Sevilla had scored against the run of play, you had a spell early on in the second half where really Sevilla should have scored a second goal. And they caught City on the counter time and well, time Gondiel again. Well, Gwandeau was
1: having a bit of a nightmare, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, he was. And they they switched uh, Lucas Acampos to the left to run at Kyle Walker. And he caused Walker all kinds of problems, which is obviously very unusual for Kyle Walker to be, um, you know, exposed in that kind of way. And, and Naziri had a couple of excellent chances to score a second goal, so... Not a perfect performance by any stretch of the imagination, but of course it's early in the season. But the really interesting thing I thought was that Haaland didn't have a sniff. And you can't use that as a template, obviously, but Sevilla did show if you're really organised, if you're aggressive and you work hard, you can maybe limit the chances you get.
1: I wonder whether or not Newcastle United will be trying to do the same thing this weekend. Let's get stuck into this weekend action. No lunchtime kickoff this weekend because of that Super Cup. And so for this weekend... Game day becomes game night and what a cracker we have in store live from the Etihad Stadium
0: The 23 24 Premier League campaign is underway as Manchester City seek history. This one
3: towards the far post, Rodri down, and it's only taken Erling Haaland three minutes of a new season. Business as usual. Erling Haaland. City are back, the treble winners, they are back. Haaland helps it on, Bernardo
1: Silva! wraps it past Nick Pope. A brilliant
2: Manchester City move. And we are here, but still we are hungry enough. To prove ourselves, either someone want to take our three crowns. Well, oh, he's got away from two, beats another one, he's
3: still going, he's still going, what a run this is, and it's a chance and it's in! What a goal!
4: It's a 5-1 scoreline and I'm slightly uncomfortable with it because we could have scored more. i knew when the fixture list came out, we were given a really tough start to try and get that first win as early as possible and we full credit to the players.
3: Jordy Jubilation all around and James is back!
1: The eye-catching performance of week one was Newcastle at home to Aston Villa, wasn't it? Um, are they capable of catching City off guard here too, Krug?
3: Potentially. Um, I think Kev's right. Man City, once again, maybe not their best in midweek. Obviously, Kevin de Bruyne is going to be out for a few months, which I think is a massive blow, not just for City, but I think for Haaland personally, when you look how many of his goals were created by de Bruyne last season, that combination was... Deadly, particularly when City were catching Arsenal late in the campaign. Newcastle, brilliant (laughs) against Villa on the opening day. There's no other word to describe it. I think they've got a goal scorer in Alexander Isak, another in Callum Wilson who can hurt the Manchester City defence. So I think this is is potentially a tough night for City. I, I, I don't think they're up to full speed as yet. And when you're not up to full speed, I'm not sure that Newcastle is your ideal second game of the season, your first at home. How will City line up in midfield, do you think, Kev? Bearing in mind
1: they haven't got Kevin De Bruyne and having to deal with that talented little trio of Joel Linton, Bruno, and the new hero of the tune, Sandro Tonali.
2: Yeah, I I would think Kovacic will probably be put in there again alongside Rodri. I thought he did a, a perfectly good job. It was a real battle in there in the Super Cup and I thought he did fine. He's got experience. He can play multiple roles I think it's going to be really interesting to see the balance they have going forward, how much Phil Foden plays and what kind of role he's used in actually, but there's no getting away from it. You're losing one of the best players in the world for a few months. So that's going to hurt any team. He's so creative. He, When things are going badly for City, I always think he's one of the players that really steps up and really drives the team forward to Brunner. So to miss him is an enormous problem. So this, this is an opportunity for Newcastle to put down an early marker, I think.
1: Um, Top scorers in week one, Newcastle United. Did you know that there have been a bucket load of goals in meetings between these two? It's always guaranteed entertainment. This Saturday night, you might as well just get your popcorn out, get all of your your drinks in a little circle, make sure that you don't have to leave the, the radio at all because this is going to be addictive listening. 108 goals in the last 31 meetings between the two. Just just process that for a second. 108 goals in 31 <laughs> meetings. That's over three a game. Over
3: 31 matches. That's absolutely astonishing. We can bank on more, right? Do you know what? With stats like that, I might do a Tonali and, and go down my local Weatherspoons and, and reserve a table. Oh, they don't have televisions do today in Weatherspoons, so maybe not. That, that, that was just one of my favourite stories the radio. of the week. take the radio. But what a story that was! He scores on his Premier League debut, and then there's a table at Weatherspoons booked under his name. Who even knew you could book a table at Weatherspoons, By the way, I think Tenali can do what he likes if he wants to
1: yeah. uh, book a table at Weatherspoons, He can he can do that, and I doubt he had to foot the bill either. Uh, someone would have done that uh, for him.
4: It just does do you show. You think he had mixed he... grill?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think he had your order. Um, but um, <laughs> three mixed grills. It just. <laughs> It just shows how he's sort of quite clever in the fact that he knew that doing things like that would ingratiate him even further to the Newcastle uh, public. And that's one of the big things up there you know, in any football club, really, is the the fact that the players are visible and that they are willing to to be involved in the local community. And, and, and actually doing that and being around the place is really important, isn't it? Um, How do uh, Newcastle ensure they don't fall into the same sort of pressing traps that, that Burnley did because they play in a sort of similar way. They'll try they'll try and attack Manchester City in a similar way to Burnley did, uh, but Burnley fell foul of those quick turnovers and Manchester City are deadly in those.
2: Yeah, they are. I, I do think Newcastle are very good in in those transitional situations. They've got such a good defensive record in general under Eddie Howe. They're very, very well organised and what you've got in guys like Gimaraish and, and Tonali is you've got guys who are two-way players, you know, and it's going to be really interesting. I think there was an assumption by some that you'd have a situation where Tonali would sit because he gets labelled with this whole Pirlo thing that he had earlier in his career. But actually, if you look at when Milan won the Scudetto, he scored some really important goals. So he's got that ability to break forward in the way that he did with that early goal against Villa but I think in general the structure is just very good with Newcastle I think their rest defense as we call it when they lose the ball and how they're set up when you lose the ball is generally very good and so it does make for a really fascinating encounter and I think it's the kind of game that Newcastle if they're serious about progression do need to really show up in and do need to pick up you know start going to places like that picking up draws maybe picking up wins
1: And Newcastle have wanted a left-back for a very long time. Are they really going to spend £35 million on Lewis
3: Hall, who made 12 first-team appearances for Chelsea last season? Well, it's big money. Uh, No question about that. Again, maybe like with Tino Liveramento, they're paying for potential. Although I would argue that Liveramento is more the finished article in the Premier League than Lewis Hall. I'll be keen to see the makeup of the deal if this does go through. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a loan deal initially with an obligation to buy after July the 1st, so that Newcastle can try and balance FFP. But from a Chelsea perspective, it's another academy player that they're willing to cash in on, and they're willing to cash in on him because it'll be 100% profit. Who would have seen that coming? (laughs) (laughs) Conor Gallagher's pretty much last one standing, isn't he? Of that list of players that we said would be sold, and I think they'll try and shift him on before the end of the transfer window. I mean,
1: we've been talking about this for a long time. Um, I think it was the end of May when we first sort of discussed the fact that they were going to try and make as much profit as possible by selling some of these youngsters on. But, I mean, it's actually worse than I thought it was going to be because they are trying to flog even some of the new bright ones like Lewis Hall's coming through the ranks last season. Um, Calum hudson Doy finding it a little bit more difficult to shift him on. Um, But they are also spending money, Chelsea, as well. We'll get to that when we do the West Ham game in just a a, a few seconds. Uh, But sticking with this match, um, do you know the last time that Newcastle won? At the Etihad Stadium?
2: Have, have they ever? Ooh. No,
1: they've never won at the Etihad Stadium. In fact, the last time they beat Manchester City away from home in the league was in September 2000. And Mariah Carey and Westlife were number one at the time with Against All Odds.
2: What that a time terrible, to be alive.
1: That, that was terrible, that, that record. What an awful cover that was. Um, Alan Shearer scored the winning goal in the 74th minute of that particular match. Um, one thing they have got, Newcastle, is the ability to score goals now. It's from all over the park, but also with the fact that they've got these two very reliable strikers in Callum Wilson and Alexander Isak. And I think they'll get on the score sheet this weekend. In fact, I might even go as far as to say I think I'll tip them for a draw in this match,
2: Kev. Yeah, well, that firepower certainly is an enormous boost. I mean, they they probably didn't score enough goals last season. They were defensively very solid, but getting that balance right between attack and defense is so important at the top top level. And Isaac is is just. I mean, we've we've talked about him so often on the pod, and rightly so, because I think we all think he's amazing. It's the fact that he has such intelligence, such technique. He There was a finish, I think it might have been maybe his first goal, but on the run, there was a bouncing ball and he just put it away really, really simply. But he made a quite a difficult finish, look really routine. And he's very, very good at that. His second goal is excellent as well, the way he lifts it. He's just got all of the tools in his armoury. He's got Awareness, he's got pace, he's got finishing ability, he's stronger than he looks. He is a terrific footballer.
1: Yeah, he really is. Um, and I tell you what, I thought Anthony Gordon played brilliantly on Saturday night. Excellent down that left-hand side. Barnes coming off the bench as well, adding to that too. Um, Bernardo Silva, is he gonna stay now at Manchester City? Because there's been a lot of exit rumors. I know Barcelona. Um wanted him, but then want everyone, but they can't afford to buy anyone. Um so 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 what's the situation with him at this moment in time? Because I
3: don't think Pep Guardiola wants to lose him. No, I think he'll sign a new contract. Um it's always been a bit of a perplexing one, Bernardo Silva, because he spent the last two summers sort of trying to push for a move away. And then you look at his statistics. You know he played forty odd games for City as they won the treble last season. So I, I can't really understand but also why you he wants to, to go. Him, Crook, and he starts talking like he is a Manchester City stalwart. Yeah. So I spoke to him on the
1: last day of, of the day they won the title last year, and we were chatting about Manchester City. What are you going to do now? And he's like, "Well, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. And uh, we've got to all believe that we can go again. We've got to come back and win it next year." And blah blah. And you just think, well, you're talking like someone that. Doesn't even think he's not even thinking about going, but yet all summer we hear these rumours, and I just wonder whether or not it's just his very clever agents trying to angle for a bit more money in the pay packet.
3: Well, that, that certainly will work, and it looks like Carl Walker <laughs> would also sign a new contract, and obviously wore the captain's armband again in midweek. I think Bernardo Silva, you know, given that the, the players that City have lost in that midfield, Mares in particular, um, but now De Bruyne with the injury. I think Bernardo Silva is is quite a key player for Pep Guardiola, so I, I can see why they want to tie him down. Foden sort of not really being part of Pep Guardiola's first choice
1: team, Kev. I don't know why that seems to be the case, but it does feel as if Foden's, I don't know, not trusted by the manager as much as maybe we all think he should be.
2: Yeah, it's a curious one because he's had this foot injury, hasn't he, Foden, which has been nagging at him for a while, but you'd think he'd have a clear run now. He's an incredibly talented player. Pep Guardiola knows that, but there are so many demands that he places upon players. It's probably really almost imperceptible things that you can't necessarily see, because we see all the skill he has. We see all all the attacking quality, all the instinctive gifts that he has but there are probably some minor we think they're minor but Pep thinks Pep thinks nothing's minor um t- tactical <laughs> things that he's seen that he doesn't like just on Bernardo I think there is a uh, I think there is a draw back towards the continent for him in in, in just a, a lifestyle thing that seems right, okay. to be the case, I think.
1: You're saying he doesn't like the weather in Manchester, is that what you're saying? Yeah, in a roundabout way, that's what you're saying, isn't it? I
2: think that's possible. I think that's possible. <laughs> so, I think I Barcelona is, the up here. Barcelona Sun- is Sun- very Sun-tree. attractive for Sun-tree. him. Sun-tree. Uh, this... yes, I'm sure it is. And he's always got an umbrella. Um, look, Barcelona is very attractive for him, I think. Uh, but they, like, as you've said, they can't get their act together. Financially, they're a mess, still you can pull as many levers as you like, but they're they're still a mess. So it would take a year for them to get their act together and maybe bring him in in 12 months' time. So it feels to me like one of those classic Leipzig moves where they say to a player, stay for another year, but we'll probably let you go in a year's time. So we'll see, but I, I do still think that link with Barcelona is strong.
1: I thought it was very interesting when you said that you don't think that Pep thinks anything is minor, everything is major. Do you think Pep, listen, he's obviously a genius. He's obviously uh, one of the most uh, creative minds that football has ever had. But uh, do you think he's got many
2: friends? I mean, (laughs) mean, he must be a pain to go out with, mustn't he? Uh, Imagine planning a weekend away with him. I know. Imagine how hot on the details he'd be.
1: Imagine getting a camper van and saying, let's go
2: on a road trip. How difficult would that be with Pep stag Imagine if he oh, was the best man for a stag do. No. It would be a nightmare. You'd have endless PDFs being sent out about what you were going to do that weekend. I,
1: I imagine it actually be a great documentary, though, right? So one of us should get married and ask Pep to be the best man just so we can make a documentary about the stag do. Also, he'd get really annoyed um, with Crook in particular, because Crook, all Crook would want to do, and Pep never understands that in this country we go to a party and no one wants to eat. He likes to get everybody to eat. So, like, he thinks a party is everyone sitting around having something to eat, whereas we think a party is going out and having lots and lots of drink. And I remember the end-of-season party at Manchester City a couple of years ago. He was just like, where's all the food? I don't understand it. So I had to get loads of pizza in to try and keep things moving because he was like, what's going on? Everyone just wants to drink. He's cheating, Pep. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's take a look at the rest of uh, Sunday's and Saturday's action now. And shall we start in North London because Spurs host Manchester United...
0: Manchester
1: United, wow. I mean, they were appalling on Monday night, weren't they? They lost every meaningful statistic against Wolves except for possession, and that was um, 51-49. And how do
3: they ensure that they don't stink the joint out again, Crook? They start Christian Eriksen for a start. They play Rashford on the left as opposed to through the middle, and they get that midfield balance right because that was a massive problem against Wolves. The number of times that Wolves just had that overrun in terms of numbers in midfield and and got the opportunity to bear down the penalty area. Let's make no bones about it. If Wolves had a centre-forward, United would have been on the end of a hiding. They had so many glaring opportunities that they just didn't ever look look like they were capable of taking. It's a problem, you know, because they, they spent a lot of money on Mason Mount, not necessarily a player that particularly United needed, but I understand the signing, but it just doesn't work. That combination of him, Bruno and Casemiro... It leaves them too shorthanded defensively. So I think Ericsson will start. And as I've already alluded to, Rashford was a complete bystander in that number nine position. You've got to get him coming in from the left. Whether that means Sancho as a false number nine, as we saw in pre-season, and I actually felt Sancho did quite well when he came off the bench on Monday night. Or do they risk the fitness of Martial and play him through the middle? Because Eric Ten Hag has said as an on-record that United are a better attacking unit when Martial is on the pitch.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, The midfield didn't work because uh, I think positionally they were set up wrong. Um, I I looked at the average positions and I felt this on the night and I mentioned it to you straight afterwards. I got the, we went over to the bar, Kev, and we sat at a a table in Hotel Football, Crook and I, and a friend of ours, and uh, we had three beer glasses. And I was saying, (laughs) this is is how they set up the midfield. And it obviously clearly can't work like this because they played, basically, Casemiro as a six, mount as an eight and Fernandez is a 10 yeah now that doesn't work because they're almost in a sort of straight line and there's so many gaps Wolverhampton Wanderers just positioned four midfielders or four bodies in that midfield area and they could just play around that so easily you know the structure of that midfield needs to be tighter so you need to have a six you need two eights either side so you've got more protection also when you lose the ball high up you've got to make sure that you've got enough numbers back to defend that central area it's one of the reasons why so many teams play now with an inverted fullback that comes into midfield to add an extra number in there you can play mount casemiro and um bruno fernandez but only if you've got someone like john stones like urian timber who sadly is very injured and we're gonna miss him for seven months Uh, who can move from one of the fullback positions into midfield to help protection when you lose the ball and you're being attacked in transition. So um, I I was a bit surprised by the the, the huge gaps that appeared in those counter-attacking moments. And I worry that if they don't get those right, then they'll get done by Tottenham Hotspur. But um, look, um, as far as Tottenham are concerned, they had a very good start, didn't they? Despite the fact... They have Harry Kane now playing in Germany with you, Kev. But ultimately, getting two goals on the opening day and not losing at Brentford, who don't ever lose at home, is, is, is a positive result to take into their first home game.
2: Yeah, I thought they were really lively. I thought they did some really interesting things tactically. You talk about those fullbacks inverting. We saw some of that with Spurs. I think we saw some of the vibrant attacking football that he wants to play. I think we saw the impact that Madison can make because we had that brilliant free kick that was whipped in with such pace that allowed Romero to score. And I think... There are certainly things defensively to work on, and I think that's always the case with the Postacoglu team because he likes to take risks and it can expose the back line. But I thought that was a decent start. I'm going to be interested to see how Vicario does in the long run um, as the Spurs goalkeeper, because we know from Serie A, fantastic shot stopper, I just wonder how commanding he's going to be. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I thought the goal that... um they gave away was, was the deflected one was a really horrible goal. I think the second goal maybe, um, with Van de Ven trying to block it and and Vicario on the floor, it was just a bit of a mess. So there's a lot to work looked, on it but it looked untidy, didn't it? It looked untidy. Yeah. It wasn't great. But look, I I think going forwards, I think they're gonna be really exciting to watch. And I think if you look at what Tottenham fans have had to put up with Nuno, Mourinho, <laughs> Conte I, I it's going first. to be such a breath of fresh air for them. Win, lose or draw. You know, it may well be that they end up finishing eighth or ninth this season. But I think the football will be a hell of a lot better to watch.
1: Basuma looking a little bit more like the player they signed from Brighton too. Richarlison, though, is still a bit of a concern, isn't he? Look poor again. Uh, any chance they go after a striker before deadline day, Crook?
3: Well, yeah, they're interested uh, in a player that Kev will be able to give us uh, a review on in um, Gift Orban. But I think their priority at the moment is to try and trim the squad. Mentioned to me the other day, they've got 35 senior professionals. So, you know, clearly they need to trim that because that's far too many, even just to make up a Premier League squad. I think the likes of Hoybier and Dombele will be allowed to leave. Eric Dyer is an interesting one because he was linked with Saudi Arabia at the weekend after he unfollowed and then refollowed. Tottenham's social media accounts, it looks like it was a fit of peak after being overlooked for any role in their new leadership group. But he, I'm told, is not definitely leaving this window, but his contract is up at the end of the season.
1: He needs to get down Weatherspoons on Tottenham High Road and start repairing a bit of damage with the supporters there. Um, the thing about that was, is that I, what surprises you more than anything else is that Eric Dier, if, if he did do this... Um, was actually managing his own social media accounts. I mean,
4: what's that all about?
1: Sure, that's true. Post something
2: like, I'm annoyed. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) I I did think one thing that was really good, actually, really positive uh, from Ange Postacoglu was the way they dealt with the Romero um, head injury. I thought that was super. I thought that was really, really good. And I think actually, sadly, rare, because I, I cannot tell you the number of times I've seen a player who's clearly got a head injury who's clearly a bit woozy and they just go how you doing you all right yeah carry on and then 20 minutes later they have to come off Uh, so for him to actually take a major player out of the team because of that concern I thought was terrific well
1: Crook and I went to a um, briefing and a lecture at Wembley a couple of weeks ago about head injuries and concussion protocols. And uh, yes, you're absolutely right, but I think the proof will be in the pudding, won't it, Crook? We both looked at each other at that time because we now know the rules on it, and if he is diagnosed with uh, concussion, he has to sit out for 12 days minimum. So if he, if he really did have concussion and if he was diagnosed with concussion, he now has to sit out for 12 days. So the proof will be in the pudding, won't it? Immediately, Crook turned around to me and said to me,
3: so we can't play for 12 days now. As you say, you know, Postacoglu was quite forthright in his opinions on it. So um, let, let's see if Spurs are, are true to their words. If indeed it was concussion, and we probably shouldn't speculate, but I mean, that would be a blow, wouldn't it? Because Davinson Sanchez, I think, is another player who they would be willing to sell between now and the end of the month, and he might have to start the game. Talking of selling players, Harry Maguire has been a hot topic this week. I don't think he's going to leave now, Crook. is Is that that the case? Is is that where we are? He's, He's going to stick around? It appears that way. Obviously, West Ham felt they had an offer accepted. I'm not sure how far that actually went in terms of Maguire sitting down with David Moyes and discussing personal terms. He says he hasn't met him. Well, exactly. So you broke the story when we were covering for White and Jordan, saying that privately Ten Hag had told Maguire that he had a role to play, but that maybe the manager needed to make that public. And he has come out now and said... He wants him to fight for his place. I think that is, is going to be what's going to happen. But,
0: <clears throat>
3: but if you're Maguire, you look at that game on Monday, Martinez doesn't come out for the second half. Having made a, a ridiculous tackle, by the way, to get that yellow card? Absolutely brainless from him. But it's Victor Lindelof who comes off the bench. So he just isn't going to get minutes, Harry Maguire, this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's two schools of thought here, isn't there? I mean, there's there's those who are saying, what is he doing? Why is he sitting around? Why is he... Why is he content with being the fifth-choice centre-back? I mean, we've decided he's the fifth-choice centre-back. I don't think Eric Ten Hag has ever said that that is the case. Um, And then there's the others who turn around and say, well, actually, do you know what? He's just been told the manager wants him to show that he can stay and fight for his place. He's going to stay and fight for his place and prove he can be a Manchester United center back. I don't think you
2: leave Manchester United lightly, do you, Kev? You don't, but I just think he's in a situation where it's highly unlikely that he's going to be one of the first names on the team sheet. I think if you look at what they already have, uh, I mean, I guess guys like Varane have shown that, that injury wise, he's not going to play all of the games he'd want to play. So there are gaps there, but I do think Lindelof has done fine actually um, under Ten Hag. I think he's actually a decent option for them. I I just think he needs a fresh start personally. I I think it would have made a lot of sense to move elsewhere. I I get it that you don't want to move from that top echelon of clubs lightly because once you do, are you really going to get back there? But it depends on what he wants as a footballer. Does he want to be a bit part player for his club and maybe win some trophies? Or does he want to be first name on the team sheet at somewhere like West Ham and, and get the minutes that will keep him sharp for England duty? So he's got to make that judgment. I just think he feels to me like a player that really needs a fresh start and really needs a fan base that will actually really... And this isn't me having a dig at Manchester United fans. It's just the way that sure? situation... No, it isn't. Sounds Genuinely, like he it isn't. Does
1: it's, sound it's, trending, it's how that trending, situation's developed canceled. organically,
2: really. I, I think he needs to go to a fan base that actually really wants him in the first eleven. Yeah,
1: because people like Crook are hounding him out of the club. Is that what you're saying? Effectively, yes,
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: uh, Manchester United's away record pretty shabby last year. They lost eight games on the road, um, and they they scored less goals than anyone in the top six away from home. Fewer goals than anyone in the top six. Um, Spurs lost six of their last nineteen Premier League home games. Should be an interesting tussle. Five thirty Saturday night. Bournemouth against Liverpool. Uh, been a bit of week to forget for Liverpool. Had their. Um, I'm sorry. The trousers pulled down by Chelsea twice for Lavia and Caseda. It's probably a bit harsh. I mean, the producers wrote that in my script, and I thought,
0: is that is that fair? Is that fair?
1: Or well, listen, I know that uh, Jamie Carragher was pretty forthright on Monday Night Football, saying that it looks a bit of a mess, doesn't it? Um, how damaging is this transfer policy from a Liverpool fans' perspective, Kevin?
2: I think it's certainly different from what we've seen in years gone by. I seem to remember when Fabinho was signed, that kind of came out the blue to some extent. When Diogo Jota was signed, there wasn't a huge amount of buzz about that before they did it. And there was a stage where they would just get on with with deals and wouldn't get dragged into these kind of public battles for players. So I think it is embarrassing to a certain extent. However, you know, Caicedo is a brilliant player. It would have been a great signing for Liverpool. There are lots of defensive midfielders out there for them to bring in as a as a mid-term solution. And then you go from there. I still think Liverpool have done some great business. McAllister, I think, is a brilliant signing. Sobosla, I think, is going to do really, really well for them. So, yes, it's always humiliating for another rival to get a player ahead of you and certainly to get two. But it's not the disaster that some people would have you believe.
1: Um, What about Endo and Gravenberch, two players that have been linked from the Bundesliga? Um, Endo played for Japan at the the World Cup. It was pretty impressive. Gravenberch
2: is at Bayern Munich, but he didn't really get a look in last year. So Gravenberch is difficult to do because Bayern don't have a lot of midfield cover right now. They want a number six. So if they could bring somebody in like that as a defensive specialist, maybe they'd be a bit more amenable to letting Kralfenbeck go. But they've only really got Kimmich, Goretzka and Lima as as top-line midfield options. Musiala can play there. He can play a bit deeper, but they wouldn't really want him to do that in yeah. the fullness of time. They want him a bit further forward. So... I think that's a difficult deal, not impossible, but difficult deal for Liverpool to do. Endo's a lot more straightforward. Now, I know people will say, oh, that's because nobody wants him. But the thing about Endo is he's a perfect fit for what Liverpool need. They need somebody who is a tackling machine. They need somebody who acts as a defensive screen. They need somebody with a good mentality. He's absolutely got that. I mean, he's almost single-handedly kept that Stuttgart team in the Bundesliga the last couple of seasons. He's been absolutely terrific. So... I think as a mid-term solution for Liverpool, it makes a lot of sense to move for Enda. it It does look
1: like a situation that they could have avoided, though. I mean, how have they got themselves into this situation, Crook, where the lineup comes out against Chelsea on Sunday and we sit down, look at it, and I say to you, that's 4-2-4. And you go, no, it's not. And I went,
3: it is. And then you looked at it and you were like, crikey, it really is. Well, they messed up the Lavia deal um, by going after Caicedo because I think Lavia was more than open to a move to Anfield and, you know, maybe felt a little bit disrespected the fact they were going after somebody else who, who played in that position. It's very weird for a club of Liverpool stature to get into a situation where they're making a British record bid for a player with seemingly no interest in moving. Um I don't really know what happened there. Were they just trying to drive up the price for Chelsea? Was it retaliation because Chelsea were trying to hijack Lavia? Only Liverpool will know, but I think it was a a fool's errand trying to sign Caicedo. And as I say, they've they've missed out on Lavia now as well. The latest name, actually, that they're looking at seems to be Czech DeCore at Crystal Palace. I, I think Jurgen Klopp is keen to bring in someone with Premier League experience, but they're not going to sell cheap. And the issue Liverpool have got now is they've shown their hand. You know, they've shown they're willing to buy 111 million. So they can't plead poverty anymore. And Jurgen Klopp saying, well, we don't sign players for 100 million. Well, you tried to, Jurgen, and you failed. So whatever way you look at it, I think this window's been a disaster for Liverpool, quite frankly.
1: Sporting director issues here, isn't there? You know, ultimately, over the course of the last few seasons, they've lost Michael Edwards, they've lost Julian Ward. I think probably a lot of us from the outside looking in was suggesting, and Crook and I sort of spoke about this previously, that Michael Edwards is a pretty clever guy. We've known him for a long time. Um, he, he sort of saw the situation coming down the road where he wasn't going to be able to, 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 to continue to keep pulling these rabbits out of hats. Julian Ward obviously stepped into that role, did a couple of good deals. I think he did the Luis Diaz deal, actually. Um, but um, ultimately, they scrambled around for a sporting director, didn't they? And then they ended up picking a, a guy from Germany this summer, but it seems to have sort of almost, I don't know, the whole thing seems a little bit neglected, really.
2: Is that fair? I think it's a bit of a mix. As I say, I thought the Soboslai deal was uh, more akin to what they used to do. Do you
1: like him because he's just come from Germany, Kev? You know you love Germany so an much. you of like that, him just because he
2: played there? But no, he's super. Soboslav is really, really good. I do genuinely think that's a, a smart move. But McAllister is the one, really. I mean, to get him for the fee that they did, I think yeah. that is great business. So I think that's in the positive column. I, I do think they've had their pants pulled down. They they have about this Caicedo thing. Because the, the thing I find extraordinary about it, really, is everyone and his dog knew that he wanted to go to Chelsea. So... The idea of trying to nip in there—I mean, I don't—I don't know. But, uh, Cricky, you know, you you work in this sphere all the time. Is it possible that Caicedo's agents were giving Liverpool to come on and saying, "Yeah, he would be interested,"
3: but potentially to to, to try and force Chelsea's hand? Yeah, that that does happen. But again, Liverpool should be shrewd enough to to realise when they're being played. Yeah, but I
2: guess. uh, playing devil's advocate, and I think it was bad. I think it was amateurish. I do. I'm not defending Liverpool here, but I just wonder if you've got an opportunity to sign a player of that calibre, and if Chelsea aren't prepared to go that extra step, then maybe there's an opportunity to nip in and get a a top-class central midfielder, but... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it looked like he was always going to go to Chelsea.
1: And also, you don't wheel out your manager and put him in front of the cameras and tell him that, yeah, everything is done, apart from whether or not the player wants to decide whether he wants to come. I don't think you do that. That was absurd. Um, That was a very weird situation. Um, uh, Just a quick word on um, Jorginho Ruta, because uh, do do you remember that you tipped him to be brilliant as well?
2: I did, I did, yes. I still think he could be good. how
1: How did that happen? Yeah? Uh, what, he went to a Leeds
2: team that was a complete dumpster fire. <laughs> uh, who uh... Jeremy,
1: our producer, who is a big Leeds fan, was texting me violently while she was waxing lyrical about Shaboslai, saying, don't forget, remember when he said that Ruter was going to be a fantastic signing? There is, um, a slight... Timo
2: there is a slight Timo
1: Werner. there is Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, all, Kai Havertz. The, all the German guys.
2: Kaya Havertz, who scored the winning goal in a Champions League final, winning goal in a Club World Cup final. Timo Werner, who started that Champions League final against Manchester City. I think they probably did okay. In, in the- Where
1: are they now?
2: Yes, well, Havertz <laughs> is a title contender as Arsenal, so he's all right. And Timo's admitted <laughs> he's back chances in Germany, it's between his chances for Arsenal. Well done.
1: <laughs> uh, right, okay, let's move on. Uh, we did not even mentioned Bournemouth. Poor old Bournemouth didn't even get a mention in Bournemouth versus Liverpool. I actually think that it's at Anfield, isn't it? Liverpool versus yeah, um, and, and Liverpool will have um, much more of the possession. I think Bournemouth will be much happier with that. And I'm going, listen, I, I'm doing the old Spanish thing. I love the Spaniards. Um, Irayola uh, is going to come up with a tactical plan here that's going to fox Liverpool a little bit. And I think they might get something out of this game, Bournemouth. They'll be much happier having a opposition where they don't have the ball. So Liverpool will have the possession. They'll win it high up. They'll turn it over they'll have a process of what to do next. I think that that tactical plan will become evident over the course of the season. they were very good. Um, Iraola and his team of giving big boys a bloody nose in Spain. Wolves against Brighton is live on Talk Sport. Some people on this podcast tipped Wolverhampton Wanderers for relegation. Now they're, they're thinking of eating their words. There was someone who suggested that. It wouldn't be the case because they would change their manager and the outlook would completely brighten. However, When I said that, I didn't believe it would happen in the next three days. And I certainly didn't expect them to perform as well as they did against Manchester United. So I must admit, even I, who uh, suggested that Wolves wouldn't go down, um, didn't believe that they could come up with a performance like that. It was absolutely terrific. And they were robbed, nay robbed, by um, the referees and the officials who have now been dropped for this weekend because it was a definite penalty. Or oh, when Andre Inana, uh submitted poor old Sasa Kalizic, who's been working very hard to come back from injury, to several punches on his face, an uppercut, one to the ribs, and then a haymaker to the side of his head. And the referee said, no, play on.
2: It's like something that Street Fighter 2. It's a disgrace. <laughs> something, um, like that. something like
1: that. <laughs> maybe I've been watching too much of that you know, over my kid's shoulder. You know, when they're playing GTA
2: 5 or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, it should should have been a penalty. I did think they played well, played really well. And I think what we did see was what Mateus Kuni is capable of in terms of carrying the ball. But the problem is, he's another one that just doesn't chances. score many goals. Doesn't score many goals. And he never did. He never did. But he was always somebody that could unlock space for others with those runs and that ability on the ball. But he's just never been a regular goal scorer. And so I'll be fascinated to see if they can actually get some service to Kalajic because he is a goal scorer. But the same old concerns are there. But I, I think they'll be fine over the course of the season, lower mid-table. But, yeah, they've, they've got to start scoring some goals. Yeah,
1: and Wolves were terrific, uh, Alex, but I, I hate to break it to everyone. Brighton will be a little bit better organised than Manchester United. Uh, they could have scored six against Luton, Brighton,
3: and they mm. will probably outscore Wolverhampton Wanderers, won't they, in this game? They could have scored 10, to be honest. They've hit the woodwork uh, three times. The goalkeeper, Kaminsky, was a very busy boy for Luton. And, uh, yeah, Brighton, to me, looked like a team ready to kick on from last season. Really excited about Joao Pedro and how he's going to fit in and prosper under Roberto de Zerbi. So th- this is a difficult game. But I've said to you before, Gary O'Neill's biggest strength, or one of them anyway, is the ability to tailor his side to negate the threats of a particular opposition. It's no quiz coincidence that Wolves dominated the midfield battle against Manchester United because Gary O'Neill would have spotted that um, as a weakness and tried to exploit that. So he'll do the same against Brighton. But you're right, if it becomes a, a shootout, then clearly Brighton have got more weapons. But I, I'm, I'm coming around to your way of thinking now. I think Gary O'Neill can keep Wolves in the Premier League. I think already uh, you see that There's a group of players who want to play for a manager who believes in them, whereas clearly Lopetegui didn't. And I think he will come up with enough plans to get enough points. Whether they'll get anything from this game, I think is open to debate, but they'll be okay. Uh, Daniel Pedence to Celtic, is that a possibility? 27 years of age, £12 million. I've I've literally just uh, fired off a message about that this morning. Told us just rumours at this stage, nothing concrete, but certainly Pudence is a player that they're willing to cash in on. I think he's been training away from the first team for some time. Wasn't involved at all on um, Monday night, that is for sure.
1: Uh, a Olajic, six foot seven inches. Um, Kev has already said that he is a goal scorer. Um, but um, one of the things that Gary O'Neill discussed with me after the game was the fact that he wasn't too concerned, Kev, about the idea that Wolves were the... F- they scored the fewest goals last year in the Premier League because although they didn't score on Monday night, they created loads of chances. And he said, I think, and then he said, quite honestly, I haven't watched too many Wolves games from last year. I obviously watched a few when I was preparing for games against them when I was in charge of Bournemouth. But ultimately, I don't think that they had as many entries into the penalty area as we created tonight. And the more entries we create into the penalty area, the more belief we have that the goals will come he doesn't think it's going to be as big a problem going forward. Do you? I,
2: I, it is about changing the mindset. That they, I mean, it's been a problem for a while. It, it's not just Lopetegui. Yeah. It, it predates him. Yeah, yeah. you look at... I mean, even Bruno Lage. If you think when Bruno Lage went there, he was a guy that had a reputation as really a really attack-minded coach at Benfica. They,
1: they and, haven't had a goal scorer since Raul Jimenez got injured.
2: Yeah, yeah. and And he wasn't the same player after he came back. And that was perfectly understandable given what happened to him so you know spent a lot on Cunha so they've they've really kind of bet the farm on him to some extent and I think he as I say he's creative but he's yet to prove that he can be a consistent goal scorer Kalajic, even though you would think it's all about whipping the ball into the box for him for his headers actually can play It's that classic Peter Crouch, good touch for a big man thing. He actually can't I was waiting for it. So, but with him, it's absolutely true. So, the only concern about him is injuries. And that's not his fault, but he's had two really serious injuries now. So, I really hope, I'd I'd love him to have an injury-free season where he can score some goals as well. So, yeah, if they could be more attack-minded, if they can get more bodies in the box, that's going to make a massive difference. But there are several coaches at Wolves now who haven't been able to make that work.
1: Um, let's take a look at Sunday's action now, starting with the most chaotic club in the world, football. And the Harry Enfield character from the 80s, the, 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 the club that walk around just going, loads of money, Chelsea. <laughs> Uh, Chelsea spending about to tip over the one billion mark. look, What have you made of Chelsea since we last recorded a a pod, Crook? Because it's been a long time of sort of acquiring players, acquiring players, acquiring players, occasionally shifting them on. The the, the churn is unbelievable. You did a a sort of analysis of the last game of Thomas Tuchel or something and the first game of uh, uh, Maurizio Pochettino. I think there were only two players that started each of those games still involved now. Well, it's, an, it's an amazing turnover of players, isn't it?
3: It really is. Uh, and at the moment, they've not got much to show for it. I, I do think a midfield of Caicedo, Enzo Fernandez, and Lavia is going to be a lot better than the midfield that we saw uh, the weekend. So I can understand both those additions.
2: Here's the flaw in the system. So I think what they're doing effectively is they're just trying to build this squad for now what i think is the danger is down the track because the ffp thing because they're amortizing these deals over long long contracts the ffp thing they can get away with in the short term now that might change with uefa because uefa down the track might look at it and you know not take as lenient view of ffp as the premier league does however The problem you've got, I think, is twofold. The first thing is, as you've mentioned, Sam, you're going to have a ton of people knocking on the manager's door saying, I was sold this dream of coming in, playing, and now I've played like three games in three months. What's going on? So you're going to get players who are going to be very, very unhappy very, very quickly. And I think that what that's going to lead to in the long run, they could bring all these young players in now, but two, three years down the line, young players will look at Chelsea and we'll see all of these players that weren't able to make it and weren't able to get games and say, well, actually, that move's not for me. Well, I'm going well, to move elsewhere. The problem's It's
1: multiple to me.
2: It's not just that. that is a, but that you're is flogging a, that all the family silver issue. with the youngsters now and you can't do that two, three years down the track.
1: Well, exactly. You've sold the family silver. And then when you're trying to generate more family silver, you're going up to kids and saying, yeah, come to our academy. Come to our academy. We'll, you, there's a pathway into our foot. Fir- well, we might actually sell you, to be honest. Get into the first team because uh, we can make a massive profit on you. And it becomes more of a talent farm than a football club. And that is what's, you know, I think that's always been the case for these big clubs anyway, like Manchester City and Chelsea have always tried to get these big academies so that they can sell the talent on, that they don't use in the first team to make money. So it pays for itself. I understand that, but I think this is more overt. This is more sort of like hoarding assets to try and make money out of these players going forward, rather than generate players that can actually play in a football team. That's what it looks like from the outside looking in. There's too many players there. And ultimately, you have to remember that the reason that Chelsea have been successful is because although they've spent a hell of a lot of money over the course of the last 20 years, yes, most big clubs have. They've done it to build a football team. This doesn't look like building a football team. This looks like, as you say, sensing an opportunity to you know, realise an asset. And that's not really how you make a successful football club going forward. But Chelsea anyway, have done this for stuff.
2: Chelsea have done no, this they haven't. forever. No, no but it's more, it's more overt now. But if you think about it, it's when more they, overt now. But when they had all those teams that won the UEFA Youth League or played really, really well in the UEFA Youth League, how many of those guys made it through to the first team? You have that pathway blocked off. They were sending players out to Vitessa. They were lo- loaning tons of players out. So they've uh, it, this is it taken to an extreme but I feel like that element where you've had a lot of young players come through the Chelsea academy and then just disappear out on loan—they're not alone. They're not alone in that. Other clubs do that too. But I feel like Chelsea. It, slightly different. The difference struggle.
1: now is though, Kev. The, the huge difference now is is that a lot of players have broken through to the first team. So over the course of the last few years. We've seen the academy has been working to a certain standard for a certain number of years. Coaching has got better over the, that period. It was slowly but surely got to the point where it's producing top talent for the first team. It started to do that. That's what academies do. They take a little yeah. while to produce the top talent. Yeah, of course, you get, yeah. once you start building it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You don't, you know, it, it takes years. They've started to produce talent for the first team. And instead of using them and making this club that everybody in a part of the fan base can attach themselves to, instead they've shipped them all out and they've bought in loads of new people they think they can pay less wages to and they can um, sell on later at a greater greater fee. And I I just think that that will... In the end, people lose touch and the feel of the football club. There's a little bit of soullessness about that. It becomes a business rather than the football club, which is all about the emotion, the passion for the game. Anyway, uh, West Ham will certainly bring passion and emotion for the game on Sunday afternoon when these two meet. And actually, Crook, the the, the key thing about a positive performance against um, Liverpool and being tactically cute in the game is that actually, ultimately, they didn't win and they need to put a win on the board sooner rather than later.
3: Yeah, they do, but this is never an easy fixture given the rivalry between the two teams. West Ham's first home game of the season, but they're obviously going through a bit of a transitional phase, still trying to get their players in order to replace Declan Rice. James Will Prowse obviously is going to make his debut. Um, I'd imagine that uh, Alvarez probably is in contention as well, so it would be interesting to see how those two gel in midfield. But you're right, I think Chelsea Chelsea need to back up what they did against Liverpool. Caicedo comes straight in and... Uh, He's an exciting signing and also he's taken the number 25 shirt, I noticed. I think that's the first time since Zola left the club that shirt has been on. Yeah, he asked Zola, apparently, if he could do that. I mean, He's got under
1: the radar that Levi Colwell was wearing John Terry's number, by the way. No one's mentioned that, really. I think they've tried to sort of play that down, Uh, but they've made a big thing about the fact that Zola has given him permission to uh, wear his jerseys. I hope you have as many wonderful moments in it as I had, he said. Very different players, though, aren't they, Zola? And Moyes' Kaise though. Know. Um, West Ham, look, they've, uh, they've had a, a tricky summer, lots of pressure there, but they got a point on the board last week. It'd be a big, big game for David Moyes on Sunday. Crookie will be there for that one. Um, we're doing the Sunday session uh, throughout the course of Sunday, bringing you all the goals as they go in from the top Premier League games, including Villa versus Everton. And I think we, we'll do this quickly, Kevin, but ultimately this has um, got—is this the Jack Harrison Derby? Um, He chose Everton over Villa. Um, Who are you choosing to win this game?
2: Uh, Villa, I think. Although I do think Tyro Mings being injured is an enormous blow for them, and they've had such bad luck with centre backs because Diego Carlos was out uh, for months and months and months with a serious injury, and now Mings is out. I think it puts. More pressure on Pau Torres earlier on than perhaps they would have wished. I think they might have wanted to ease him in. I think the the problem with him is going to be the physicality of the Premier League. But we'll see how he does. He's got a lot of quality. There's no doubt about that. But I just think Villa will have too much for Everton. I think it was nice to see Diaby score early on. I think he's going to be great for Villa. So, yeah, I, I do think Villa will win
4: this.
1: Okay, let's get to Friday nights, and there are two big games, um, Forest Sheffield United, which is live on TalkSport on Friday night, and of course, Kane's debut. Yes, we know that Kane's debut is not in the Premier League, and this is Premier League All Access. Um, However, Kevin Hatchard is here. And as a result of that, we must discuss it. Uh, but first, Forest against Sheffield United live on Talk Sport. Uh, Nottingham Forest will uh, have got uh, another week into the legs of a Langer,
3: One Year, and Brennan Johnson.
1: Will they be too much for Sheffield United, Crook?
3: I'd have thought so. Um, I thought Sheffield United, very poor, um, at home to Crystal Palace, probably could have been on the end of a heavier defeat. Obviously, they've lost their two best players from last season over the course of the summer. They have made one or two additions since. That game, but doesn't necessarily set the pulses racing. So, yeah, I think Forrest Tom Davis, Tom back. Davis, bring a bit of style to the dressing room. He's just average, isn't he? Tom Davis, with the greatest respect in the world, he's not going to come in and wasn't pull up any trees. There, crook. I'm going to be honest with you, it was quite dismissive. <laughs> Forest at home on a Friday night. I think they'll be buoyed by how they finish the game against Arsenal. I think Alanga will start. So, yeah, I think if you're looking for a a home banker this weekend, I think this is probably it.
1: Well, Paul Heggenborough has been speaking to us and he says that Tom Davis, the reason he hasn't been able to kick on is because he suffered from a continual cycle of uncertainty at Everton.
4: If a club's turning over managers or there's lots of different managers, homegrown players or younger players in that squad can always, they always seem to be treating a certain way and, and I don't know, I've not been in and around Everton and I've not spoken to Tom about this, it's just my impression. But you can almost be the one that gets sacrificed, you can almost be the one that's always thought of as beneath and then that begins to affect lots of things. Um, so Tom was keen for a fresh start, regardless of the opportunity to stay at Everton, he was keen for a fresh start. And um, yeah, after we spoke, he's been, there's been other options, but he's been holding on for, uh, in the hope that we could get something done and we've been able to do that. So yeah, we know we've got a hungry player Uh, from our point of view we've got a player who's played all his minutes in the Premier League which is a bonus for us so you know uh, no occasion no venue no team is going to phase him because that's the only thing he knows.
2: Yeah I mean he may well say that but you know that's where you want players to really step above all that uh, and really show that they can thrive even in a difficult environment so I, I think Crookie's right. If you look at his track record, it is average at Premier League level at this stage, but maybe this is his opportunity to step forward. I I do think losing Iliman and Jai is going to be massive for them because you're not just losing a chunk of goals. It's a chunk of assists as well. Uh, And I do think Forest will be too strong for them.
1: Uh, City Ground was last uh, season's saviour for Nottingham Forest. If they win on Friday night, it will be their fifth straight Premier League home win which is pretty impressive, I think. Um, right, so let's talk uh, Harry Kane's debut quickly. a debut for him away at Werder Bremen. Kev, you'll be calling this. Um, are you really excited? Are you just sort of like, you know, are you buzzed up? You're flying over there. You're getting really sort of beefed up for it. You're, you're almost smelling the brat verse right at this moment as you're doing your notes.
2: <laughs> I think it is exciting for the league. I think it's massive for the league. To get the captain of England into the Bundesliga, I think is huge. But I think what it gives us as well is a lot of storylines because if you look at the way that they played against Leipzig in the Super Cup, they were dreadful. And he came on to a rapturous reception and got about eight touches of the ball and none of them in a dangerous area. So they're going to have to work out how to adapt to him. He's going to have to work out how to adapt to them. But they've got to hit the ground running because there's already a bit of a hangover from last season when they barely won the league. Thomas Tuchel's already doing his nut about how they're playing, and is already shredding players in public. And you know, once that starts to happen, <laughs> that then it it can go only one way. So he's got to really start to get some consistency into this team and show that his football can work at Bayern Munich because they've bet big on him. They brought him in to replace Nagelsmann. It's got to work, and Harry Kane's a big part of that.
1: Yeah, that was always a very strange situation, wasn't it? And we spoke about that a lot last year when they played Manchester City. Um, but it'd be fascinating to see how well he does there. He did speak about returning one day to break Shearer's record. He needs 48 Premier League goals for that. He signed a four-year deal. One word answer from you both. Will he come back and break the record at some stage? Crook? Yes. Kev? No. Just going to look because you love Germany so much. You think Kane's going to love Germany so much. He's just going to be down there in his Lederhosen with his big steins at Oktoberfest. All, they can do that, by the way. They all go to Oktoberfest. All the, the Bayern Munich players are in the traditional dress every year and have those big steins of, uh, of beer. Um, yeah, it's a place I think that Crook would love, to be honest. I was going to say, I um, think Talk
3: Sports should send me out to interview Harry Kane during Oktoberfest. Yeah. I think that'd be good timing. <laughs> Last time you went to
1: Oktoberfest, you uh, you sort of disappeared off the radar for a little while because you'd taken too much in I think. Um, Crook, thank you very much. Cheers, have a good weekend. And you, Kev, uh, enjoy your uh, calling of the uh, the big Bundesliga debut for Harry Kane. Uh, I'll be, uh, over the weekend, uh, watching the game at Manchester City and Newcastle. Sunday session this week comes live from Box Park in Wembley after the World Cup final. And then we've got two games back-to-back. Aston Villa against Everton and uh, the game that Crook will be at, West Ham against Chelsea. And Monday night football comes from Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace against Arsenal. Uh, It's live on Sorgsport. Thanks for listening to the Premier League All Access podcast. Remember to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts and download it and tell all your friends about it too.
0: The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.